Well, my name is Jordan. If I haven't met you yet, uh, one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to wrap up this series uh, called Very Good, um, God's Good Design for Our Gender and Sexuality. And we've been in this for several weeks. We paused last week to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. And so if you're, if you're just joining us, you're missing a lot of groundwork that we've laid, and that's okay. Um, still good for you to be here today, but I, but I would encourage you to uh, spend some time going back through our sermon archives, or, or just, you know, if this is a subject that's super sensitive to you, uh, myself, one of the other pastors, elders, we would love to sit down and, and, and talk through what does God's word say uh, as you're wrestling through issues of sexuality, gender, and, and trying to figure out how do we respond. And that's really our, our, our question today, is how do we respond to this moment uh, in our culture and this, this movement that uh, is seemingly ever more pervasive into our lives, into our, into our schools, and, and it's been in our politics for a long time, but it's just, it's, it's everywhere that we look. There's, there's conversations, there's debates, there's, um, there's lawsuits, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot, right? And, um, and we've said at the beginning that we want to be a people um, who are able to respond the way that Jesus responds, um, the way that Jesus shows up into a world that is broken, that is confused, um, including sexually. Like if you think that you think everybody was in heterosexual marriages when Jesus uh, was born into this world, you need to study your history a little bit more. Um, it was a it was a already a very broken and confused and distorted world that Jesus steps into, and yet he shows up. and, and John tells us that he was full of both grace and truth. And that is our hope and our desire, is, is that we can and be really clear on what does God say, because we're his people. We need to know what does he say about how we are to live our lives, how we are to use our bodies, right? What is faithful living? And so we, we've, we've tried to do a lot of groundwork to set that up. What is God's design? And, and we've said he made us in his image, right? We're his image bearers. He, that means, A, he has the authority to make us how he wants. He's the one who created us. But B, there is something intentional, not just something. There, everything is intentional about the way that he has made us. And so much so that when he says he made uh, you know, mankind in his image, he made them male and female in his image. And then he, he says that male shall leave, male, man shall leave his father and his mother and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And so there is an undeniable foundational piece of our humanity that is about being male and being female, and that uh, God's world is set up to work with males and females um, creating life in the context of covenant marriage as they enjoy the good gift that God has given them, us, with our bodies and with our sexuality. However, the story of the scripture is that uh, humanity made a mess of God's good design, and that's not just about LGBTQ plus issues. Humanity has made a mess of God's good design in basically every way. That sin has pervasively made its way into our world, fracturing what God has made as good. And that is what leads Jesus to step in to our world. To, to say to the world that, that man, you've, you've made a mess, but I'm here to clean it up. I'm here to get you and to clean you up. I'm here to bring you back to where you belong, which is in the presence of God. And so that is the good news of the gospel. But man, when we start talking about how does that flesh out, how do we respond then in a world that, that is, is asking really hard questions, like isn't love 
love? And, and why does it matter if, if two consenting adults aren't harming one another? Or, or if this is what somebody feels is, is, is true about themselves, wouldn't it be more harmful? Wouldn't it be unloving to tell them that they can't live this way or transition to this thing? Like it, and, and there's a lot of questions, valid questions that are being raised about the evangelical Christian traditional view of marriage. And, and how do we respond to a world that's increasingly confused and, and has made its way into all of these areas? Like I said, legislation and school and, and all of these things that are being brought to us and, 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 and we're having to figure out how do we respond faithfully. And here's the deal. I cannot walk you through every situation. It's impossible. First of all, there's already too many. I've had a lot of conversations. I've, I've appreciated so many of you coming with thoughtful conversations already. Um, engaging with uh, myself and Chad and other, uh, you know, staff and elders here around this series because I, so many of you, you're already seeing how it's intersecting in your lives from your kids' friends to some of you, your very own kids to people you're working with to figuring out how do you do your job and remain faithful to your convictions. And so there's so many implications and so many places where we've got to figure this out. And and so I so appreciate that, and I want you to know that we invite that. We, we, are, we are glad to wrestle with those specific situations with you. Um, and we'll do, we'll do another podcast. If you want to let us know what topics you want us to walk through, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, answer some of those uh, more specific questions. But for today, what I want to do is, is give, you, give us what I think are some helpful, not an exhaustive set of principles, but helpful principles that, or, or, or uh, you know, things to remember that will lead us to have a right posture and a faithful posture that will allow us to respond rightly to the different situations as they come up. I didn't say that it will make them easy, but it will help us to be faithful and to embody what Jesus has said and what Jesus did, and it would be full of grace and truth, right? See, our world is trying to push us into a place where we're either going to affirm, right, or we're going to hate, and, and, and that's what we're told. Is that your two options? Where are you going to, which one are you? Which one are you? Some of you have felt that. You felt that very specific pressure, like, well, I don't hate you, but I can't say that that's right, right? And, and here's, the, here's where we're headed with today's sermon, and there's an article attached to your, to your app if you do the digital bulletin that I think is helpful, and I, and I, and I, and I borrowed a lot of these ideas for, so I would, I would encourage you to, to read that more, more uh, thoroughly later. But the, the gospel allows us to not be put into either one of those categories, but to instead say to a world that is off base with their, their idea of sexuality and their idea of what it means to be human, and, and we get to say to them both, you are wrong and you are loved. The gospel affords us that, and no one else gets to say that. No one el nobody else's worldview gets to say that very truth to a world that is so broken and confused. And so we want to lean in and understand this very clearly. In order to do that, I just want to walk us through one of my favorite, most beautiful, in my opinion, passages of Scripture. Uh, Chad started his sermon with this passage a few weeks ago, and, and we want to come back to this, and we just want to let this speak into this issue. So I want to walk through Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to let it shape us into this right posture and I want, to, I, want to, I want to let it inform our hearts as we go forward and we encounter these situations because the world is, is, is saying to us, like, 
again, try to push us into one of those two places. That, uh, and, and people are asking the question, like, hey, uh, d- does the Bible tell, does it, like, and maybe you've heard this, does it the Bible tell us to accept everyone as they are? I've heard this even in the last few weeks. Well, I thought God loved all of his children. And unfortunately, that, that, that came in a response to, to, my, to my sermon where they didn't, they didn't hear the whole thing. And I, I regretted that, that that's what they heard because, that, see, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's not the right question. Of course, he, he loves all of his children, but that doesn't mean that he can't say that they are wrong. And it doesn't mean that he can't call them out when they're in danger of their souls uh, it, it would be unloving for him to not do that. And so no, the Bible doesn't call us to accept everyone as they are, but it does call us to love our neighbor. It does call us to respect all people as image bearers. Okay, church, you still with me? It does not tell us we have to accept everyone as they are, but it does very clearly tell us to love our neighbor. And it does very clearly tell us to respect all people as image bearers. So how do we do that? Let's let Ephesians chapter 2 shape us. The first thing, as we get into chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I want you to hear this, and I want us to remember the first thing. Remember that you were lost too. Okay? We have to combat this us versus them mentality. We cannot villainize. We cannot, just, we cannot talk in, in terms of them. Because humanity is your image bearers. And we were lost too. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It doesn't say they. It doesn't say, hey, go get them because they're dead and they're trespasses and they're still walking in them. It says, that was you as well. So just don't forget. Let us not remember that we are also lost without the gospel. You are not righteous by way of your heterosexual attraction. Do you understand that? Your heterosexualness doesn't get you into heaven. You need to know that. You need to wrestle with that. You need to chew on that. You need to let that inform your response in these conversations. Secondly, let us remember that this is a spiritual war. He goes on to say that in which we once walked, we, we, were, we were sinners, we were, we were lost as well. It says that... They were, we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air in the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We have to remember that this is primarily a spiritual battle. When you, if, you have, if you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, praise God for the good news we've sang about today. Praise God that that is what we're anchored in today. We are not here to high-five ourselves for getting it right. We're not here to huddle up because we have a superior morality and we're nailing it and we're just waiting on the rest of the world to figure it out. If that's why you've come today, you're in the wrong place. We say often the journey's a place for flawed and imperfect people, right? We're not here because we got it all together. We're here because we need Jesus. And if you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, listen, your salvation was a spiritual spiritual salvation. It wasn't a matter of you just hearing the right information or being born into the right family or having the right natural inclinations. Your salvation was was being saved from from the the powers of this world that had deceived us, that had led us into being children of disobedience. And, And Jesus showed up and showed us his beauty of the gospel and saved us. And so as we're looking at a world that's increasingly confused and increasingly combative, against God's 
ideas and God's design, then we have to keep in mind that this is a spiritual war. Paul's going to wrap up this book, Ephesians chapter 6, talking about, hey, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities of darkness. Well, he's, he's reminding us that right here. Like, this is, this is our struggle. So if we're in a spiritual war, listen, as, as we, we should indeed be fighting this battle, okay, that, that's, that's to be clear, but we need to make sure we're using spiritual weapons, okay? If we're going to fight a spiritual battle, we have to be using spiritual weapons. What are your spiritual weapons? Prayer and Scripture, okay? We need to be a people who are praying a lot more than we're posting, we need to be praying more than we're protesting. We need to be a people that are praying for our country, for our world, for our state. Absolutely. Absolutely pray that God would bring revival, that God would fall on the country from a corporate standpoint, on our state, on our legislators, on our local township. All of those things need to be a part of what we're praying for. In fact, we're instructed to do that to pray for our leaders. And so we should absolutely be praying from a corporate perspective about the, the larger movement, if you will, right? Because that's we got kind of got air war and ground war issues going on here, don't we? We got an air war that's it's kind of movement of, of this issue that comes in forms of legislation, it comes in forms of media, and there, it's really hard to combat because we're not having face-to-face conversations, right? That's kind of air war stuff. But then we got ground war where you're gonna run into people. I hope that you're running into people. And I hope that you're having conversations. And so, but we need to have both of these things covered in prayer. Our responses to these things need to be first fought on our knees, first fought with, with, with praying and, 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 and pleading that God would go before us and, and awaken hearts and open eyes and melt hearts and draw hearts to himself. See, the goal isn't to just get everybody on the same page from a morality standpoint. The goal is to see the kingdom of Jesus rescue more sinners. That's our task. We're foolish to think that we're going to see our world turned in to a, a, a physical kingdom that matches God's kingdom. The, the, that's the, the confusion that the disciples had all the time. They're always thinking, Jesus, you, you're going to take the throne now? Are we going to overthrow Rome? Are we going to get this thing back in order? And Jesus goes, you've misunderstood. I've come for a different throne, and I'm coming for a greater kingdom that has nothing to do with Rome or Israel or USA, but it's for my church, and I want more and more of my people to be brought into the folds of the church. And so that's our task, and so we need to be uh, fighting this battle with, with praise. So pray for those, pray for the country, for the corporate standpoint, but also pray for those that you love. Pray for the people that you are actually you know, in the trenches with. Go to battle for the people that you love, and especially our kids, especially the people that you're in community with, that you work with. Listen, don't, don't assume, like, don't wait for them to be attacked. Assume that they will be attacked and be praying for them. Pray for your family and your loved ones. Don't wait until they, they tell you that they're struggling with sexual issues. Assume that they're being attacked and pray for them. And then teach them the Bible. Not just why people are wrong, but teach them the whole Bible. Teach them the word. Under, know your word. Don't, don't go on to Facebook and open your mouth about some issue if you, and, and proof text some verse to just throw at people as a weapon. That's not how Jesus uses 
the word. He, he has a holistic message of grace and truth that he's uh, screaming out to the world through the very blood that he shed in his own life. And so we need to embody that same posture, but absolutely know our Bible. But you need to know, like, you, you need to set in it. You need to let it read you. You don't just need to find a couple of, of verses that you can use to attack them. Again, remember, you were also lost outside of Jesus, okay? So we're in a spiritual battle. Let's be using spiritual weapons. Let's move on. We need to remember that we all have to surrender our desires and fight sin, not just the LGBTQ plus community. We need to remember that we all have to surrender our desires, not just that community. He goes on to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What is he saying there? He said, listen, you, he's talking to the church, and he's saying, don't forget, you were lost. Don't forget, it was a spiritual um, experience when you got saved. And don't forget, you also were living out of your, your, your fleshly desires and that that had earned you wrath from God. I, I've said this before, but it's, I, think it's, I think it's poignant and helpful. Years ago, uh, Pastor Rick Warren um, mega church pastor, and I'm not in, endorsing him, although I think he's done a lot of good, but he was being interviewed on the Today Show, and, and they were just talking about the issue of homosexuality. I don't even think trans uh, and some of the other things was, was part of the conversation at this time, but, but he was asked, hey, if, if they prove that it's a genetic thing, if, if we prove that people are born with a gene that, that causes them to have same-sex attraction, causes them to be homosexual, would you change your position on it then? And he said, no. And she, I mean, the, the reporter was just like, oh my gosh, how could you? And he says, well, just because we have natural inclinations, just because we have parts of our bodies that are, that are natural to us doesn't mean they're right. We have to do all sorts of submitting our, our, our natural desires so that what's good for humanity and what honors God doesn't run rampant in our world. And he says boldly on the Today Show, you can Google this clip, he says, listen, I have a desire to have sex with every beautiful woman that I see. That doesn't mean it's good and right for humanity or honoring to God. And you see what he's doing there? He, he's, he's reminding us that we all have to surrender our fleshly and our bodily desires to God because our bodies are marred by sin and they're, 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 they're off base and we, we all have to do that. And this is so important for this conversation because following Jesus means denying yourself. Listen, our world has increasing problems with, with anybody having to suffer, anybody having to be told no. Everybody is being given permission to do whatever they feel in today's world. But our Jesus comes and says, listen, you want to find life, you got to lay down your, your life, and you got to pick up your cross, and you got to come follow me. The Christianity is about denying ourselves regularly picking up our cross daily, he says. What does that mean? We're crucifying our flesh. We're giving ourselves over to Jesus, saying, not what I want, but what you have made me for. That's what I want to pursue with my life. It's called mortification. We talked about this in the Beatitudes. We talked about we are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and people who, who combat sin in our life. We don't just wait for sin and respond to it you know, from a reactive standpoint. We proactively go and get our sin. We, we look for parts of our heart that are out of line with the Lord, and we bring that before him. Jesus says, if your right hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Your right eye's causing you to sin, cut it off. 
Why? Because it's better to make it to heaven with, you know, a few less digits than it is to get, you know, end up in hell with your whole body. And, and he's not, like, that's, he's talking about, like, I'll connect the dots for you later if you need it, you know, but he's talking about heterosexual male issues. Come fight your sin. You don't get to do whatever you want just because it's a little more accepted by the majority culture that you're familiar with. We all have to surrender our desires to the Lord. Following Jesus is about denying ourselves, and this is true for everybody, not just the LGBTQ conversation. If the only time we're talking about somebody having to surrender their desires to follow Jesus has to do with LGBTQ, we're grossly misrepresenting the gospel. That's the only time your children hear you talk about somebody having to surrender their own desires to follow Jesus, then you're grossly setting them up to misunderstand and misapply and misspeak about the gospel. We have to live lives of mortification. That means killing sin, going after this. We don't just tolerate sin. Like, this, this, is, this is so, like, my preacher, you say, all right, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling, right? We get into issues like you think about things that we just tolerate as a society. The Bible tells us not to be gluttonous. We don't really lose our minds about that, though, right? Yeah. The Bible tells us not to be greedy. The Bible tells us not to lust. But we, you, see, you see, we're like, eh, those are more palatable sins for us, right? We need to be a people who are consistently surrendering ourselves to Jesus, having conversations with those around us about how, yeah, I might want to do that, but I simply can't. This could be as practical as having that extra piece of dessert or Spending money that you shouldn't spend as parents, like parents, those are moments to talk to your children about surrendering your desires for the sake of honoring the Lord. You see what I'm saying? We have to get really, really, really practical and create a framework for those around us to understand that, that we're not just doing whatever we want and then calling out people who we don't like their sins and calling them to surrender to Jesus if they want to follow Jesus, that we are living a life of surrender. And we get to say, hey, I know that that's, that's deep within you and I can't fully understand it, but what I do know is I've had to surrender my own self to follow Jesus, and that's where I found life. You see, Jesus tells us, hey, you want to find your life? You want to save it? Lay it down. Lay it down. For those that seek to save their life will lose it. But those who lose it for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they are the ones that it will be filled. They are the ones that will find life. And we need to make sure that that's the kind of message that we're, we're not only talking about, but actually living out as well. So we need, we need to be living a life of mortification. We're, we're surrendering our natural desires to Jesus. Consistently, consistently surrendering our natural desires to Jesus. Because if the only time we're talking about something like that has to do with LGBTQ+, then yeah, it's going to sound like we just don't want them to be a part, like that God just hates them. We need to make sure that we understand the fullness of the gospel and that we're living that out. Listen, this helps our children and others uh, <clears throat> that we're discipling to see people who are struggling um, with issues of sexuality 
as, as just that, people who are struggling. Okay? People struggle with, with issues, LGBTQ, like gender identity issues. They're, they're, they're no further from God than the person who's caught up in pornography or some other addiction or a drunkard or whatever. And, and we would be okay with moving toward them. We would be okay with, 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 with engaging them. But we want to make sure that we, we have a broader category, that we understand that these are people who are struggling. Yes, there's people who are just about them. They're just trying to start a fight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people you're actually engaging in conversation, your loved ones, your family, your coworkers, the people you're face-to-face with, face-to-face with, the people that your kids are going to be face-to-face with. Your kids are going to have homosexual friends, or they're going to have a choice to be around. They're not going to have a choice to be around them. They're going to have a choice to befriend them. They're going to have a choice to interact with kids from these sorts of struggles. And so we need to help them see that as, hey, those are, those are sinners in need of Jesus. They're struggling to try to find an answer to a question deep within them. And the world has told them, hey, you'll find the answer by just doing whatever your body wants to do. And we know that's a lie. We know that's not true. And so we want to lovingly engage them with the gospel. But our kids need to understand that they also have an impulse to do whatever their body wants to do. And we have to teach our kids to surrender those desires, whether they're heterosexual, homosexual, or otherwise, to Jesus. This helps them see other people rightly, but friends, this is also going to help them be set up to struggle with their own sin and surrender their own sin and live a life of holiness. Whether that sin is heterosexual or otherwise, you need to be setting a a culture, creating a culture where your kids know what it means to wrestle with and surrender their bodies and their lives to Jesus. Because if, if you've tolerated some sins and then talked about them as others, and heaven forbid, your child starts to struggle with a, with a, with a, a desire that, that fits into that other, guess where it's not a safe place to them, for them to talk about it? The very place that you would want them to talk about it. Okay? I'm not saying you want to be okay with your kids having those struggles and you're just going to affirm it. I'm saying if they're having struggles and they're having questions, you want to make sure you have made a place where that is, is, is a category that we bring to Jesus and that we can talk about, that we can intercede for them, that we can walk with them. Okay, next. We need to just remember the gospel. I know it sounds trite and obvious, but we need to remember the gospel. Paul goes on to say, but God. <laughs> this is who you were, church. You, you have to get this. You are not righteous because of your morality being normal or tolerated. Like, you're not righteous because you're an American. You're not righteous because you grew up in the South. You're not righteous because you you have mom and dad and granddad's morals. No, no. You were a child of wrath. Walking in your own spirit of disobedience and formed by the world. Just because your sin looked different, it doesn't mean you were any closer to heaven than those who are struggling with LGBTQ. You were lost. And not just kind of lost, like, oh, we just need to come over here and turn this person around and they're close. No, no, he says you were dead. Dead. Dead people don't do anything, right? They don't need, like, Guidance? You, you don't go up to a dead person and like turn their shoulders around. You need to go this way, buddy. No, they're, they're dead. What does a dead person need? They need resurrection. They need to be saved. That was you. That was you. So guess who it also is? 
It's them. It's, it's the world out there that's struggling with their sin. They're, they're sinners in need of a Savior. They're not, they're not them that, that are, you know, on, on their way to a special hell. No, they're sinners in need of a Savior. Like, it, it says, but God being rich in mercy, not us. Like, what, what if this said, but man, those, those people at the journey, they figured out their way to get their morality straight and they put on nice clothes once a week and they showed up and sang some songs and if the rest of the world could just do that. What if the Bible said that? But here's the deal. A lot of us live like the Bible says that, don't we? We kind of think that. We're like, yeah, but I mean, you know, thank goodness I figured it out. Thank goodness I was, you know, from a family, whatever, like we fill in the blank. But this is what the Bible says. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is why we get to say what I started out the sermon with. That our response gets to be, yeah, you are wrong, but you are loved. You are wrong and you are loved. Why do we get to say that to them? Because that's what God said to us. Do you understand that? That's the gospel. We don't get good news unless we understand that we're a sinner in need of a savior. And we don't understand that without God telling us, hey, you're wrong. You can't live your life that way. You can't do the things you want to do and think that you're just entitled to get to heaven when you die or you're entitled for my blessings. It doesn't work that way. You're wrong, but... But I am rich in mercy, he says, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. This is what God has said to us, and this is what we get to say to people who are struggling. This allows us to move toward them, people that are struggling. We don't have to be afraid that if we get too close, we're going to catch their sin. Church, read the Gospels. Jesus got real close to all kinds of sinners, and it freaked all of the religious people out. I'm not just, that's not just like a fun story, that's like the thread that runs throughout the Gospel. See, the world had, had, had separated itself into moral and immoral. These are the religious, these are the good people, those are, the, those are them. They're really far from God. They're, they're prostitutes, they're drunks, they're tax collectors. We, we, don't, we don't know what to do with them. They can stay over there. If they can figure it out, maybe they can come over here. But for now, man, they're over there. And, and here's the good people. Jesus shows up into that world, divided, Good people, bad people, moral, religious, sinner. Where, which people is Jesus hanging out with? Well, you think, well, he's the son of God. He, he wrote the Bible. He's probably going to be a big fan of the people who like the Bible. He's probably going to be hanging out over here and calling people. Hey, y'all can come over here if you want. Just clean yourself up. We don't want your filth in our house. But if you come over here, is that what Jesus did? No, 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 no. Jesus went all up in this situation, all around the people that were nasty to the world. 
filthy to the world. You know what they called Jesus? You know what the, you know what the bad name the religious people came up with for Jesus? A friend of sinners. A drunk and a glutton. Did Jesus ever get drunk? Did Jesus ever glutton, you know, indulge in gluttony? No. Why did he get called that? Because he was associating with those that did. See, our world wants to cancel people. Just when I speak something, somebody's looking, well, he must mean that. He said this, that must mean what he means. Jesus goes and hangs out with prostitutes, drunkens, heathens, and people over here assume, oh, he must be affirming their lifestyle. Doesn't he know? They would sit over here and have conversations. I thought he was a prophet. Doesn't he know what she did? Does he know who she is? How dare he? He must be affirming. Their... Jesus over here preaching the good news of the gospel. He says, you foolish people, you don't get it. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And they're right here. And you had the good news. You didn't come to them. So I'm here. And he turns to them. And he doesn't say, hey, you know what? You guys just do whatever you want. I don't want to hurt your feelings. So you want to be a prostitute? You go right ahead. No. Jesus goes, you're a sinner. You need salvation. And guess what? I'm here. Turn to me. Go and sin no more and come follow me. Jesus says, go sin no more. Always leave your life of sin. Come follow me. Like, Jesus isn't affirming this crowd, but he is going near them. He's loving them. He's showing up with both grace and truth. He's going and saying, hey, you're wrong, and you are loved. That crowd knows that they are wrong, and they're showing them no love. This crowd thinks that they're loved because they're right. Jesus says, you're foolish. You're all wrong. And you're all loved. And you're all welcome to enter through the door of mercy into the party of grace if you'll come. And lay down your life. Lay down your religious entitlement. Lay down your life of sin. And come to me and we can all party at the richness and the goodness of our God. Because he he's sent me, Jesus says, to be good news to those who have no good news, good news to those who have no way of healing themselves. You are wrong and you are loved. That's the message of our Jesus. And that's the message we get to take into a broken and confused world. Next, we got to remember resurrection hope. We got to remember the resurrection. That, that, that Jesus provides for us a hope for our bodies. We've spent a lot of time in this series talking about our bodies actually matter. Because it's important for this conversation. They matter. God made them on purpose, and and he has a plan for redemption of our bodies. It's important that we know there will be a physical resurrection, and our bodies will be resurrected to experience glory with Jesus in some flesh, right? Jesus sits on the throne like he still has his body. It's it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but this is a physical kingdom we're going to inherit. And our hope 
points us to a day of resurrection. It says, and raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in his coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We get to tell the whole world that there is a hope for our bodies and for our lives that extends beyond just some moral submission and some rules here on earth, that there is a, that, that Romans 8 says the whole creation is groaning and longing for the day that Jesus comes back and makes all this right. Our bodies matter, but they are not working properly. They are affected by sin. They are full of longings that are misplaced and distorted. Our bodies are full of scars from abuse. Our bodies are full of emptiness and from, they're tired from trying to fill up what is clearly broken, trying to fill up a cistern that clearly has a crack in the bottom, the hopelessness of pursuit, all of that is true of of our body. And yet, our hope lies in the resurrection that we will get to be made new. All of us will struggle against our flesh until resurrection occurs. You understand that? You're not free from struggle just because you're saved now. You have to continually kill that sin, continually lay yourself before the Lord, and we'll have to continually do that until resurrection comes. Guess who that's also true for? People from an LGBTQ plus community that get saved. Sometimes God changes their desires. Sometimes he doesn't, and they live a life of of repentance, surrendering those desires to Jesus. We need to make sure we have categories for people who are living lives of faithful celibacy or faithful just surrendering to a life that God has called them to, even when it doesn't match what their body is craving or what what their body is saying. We need to make sure we have categories for them to be disciples following Jesus. Because we all have to uh, battle with our flesh until the day that he comes and takes away sin and makes us fully glorified. So we need to make space for that and help all of us hope in the resurrection. He talks about his riches of kindness, immeasurable riches. Church, let us not forget that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. By and large, People struggling with LGBTQ plus issues and identity and gender dysphoria, they're going to assume what the church believes about them is that they're wrong. Now, I get it. Churches are rapidly moving to affirm. I understand that. But we're still in a moment where, by and large, they assume that we hate them. They assume that they're, you know, that we would say they're out of line with God's word. But I don't know if they assume that God loves them, that they're both wrong and they're loved, and that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. We probably don't have to convince them of God's wrath very often, but it will be a, a, a tearful testimony of his kindness that will lead many to repentance. Peter says we need to we need to know the hope that we need to know the reason for the hope that we have so we can give it as an explanation. And lastly, we need to remember who we're serving. He goes on to say, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work. So he's walked them through this, this remembrance and this shaping of who they are. He's postured them up, and now he's saying, Hey, church, you were saved by grace. 
It's not your own doing. You're not here because you're varsity and morality. You're here because you've been saved by God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. We don't walk out there with a swagger because God has chose us because we're more tolerable or palatable to him. No, no. We walk out there because Jesus has laid down his life and told us that we can come. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the deal, church. You've been saved by grace through faith alone. You have been brought into this life. And guess what? He has you here in 2022 for the very reason to be the salt and light to a broken and confused world. God's not up there freaking out about the direction this is going. He's seen societies and empires take massive distortions of what he meant to be good. He's looking at the church and going, are you going to go tell him? Yeah, yeah, I know America's confused. Are you going to go tell them? Yeah, yeah, I I know. Are you going to tell them? Are you going to go to them? Because this is why you've been saved, to go to them. This is why you've been saved, to be a people of hope, to be set up on a hill as a city of light in the midst of a dark world. Jesus goes, I ain't going to light some lamp to put a bushel over it. Y'all are supposed to be the hope of the world. Are you going to do that? going to remember who we're serving. He has saved us. He has a purpose for us. He's placed us here in this moment, not to be an angry mob posting on social media and protesting, but to be salt and to be light, to be relationally involved in our world, to be speaking truth to the culture, yes, for sure, but doing so with grace and love, doing so in a way that wins an audience with the lost, not incites cheers from the religious and cold and self-righteous. Let's say that again. We are to absolutely speak truth to the culture. Yes, John the Baptist You know how he lost his life? He wouldn't capitulate to a culture that was saying, well, it's just sexuality. They're two consenting adults. He goes, no, it's it's sin. You can't have that relationship. I don't care if you're a government official or not. Boom, decapitated, lost his life, right? Absolutely, we need to have a prophetic voice to the culture, but we need to do so in a way that is full of both grace and truth. Do so in a way that wins an audience with the lost, not incites cheers from religious and self-righteous people. You understand what I'm saying? That's the temptation right now. You could say certain things, affirm certain things, and you get cheers from one side of the aisle. Jesus didn't give a snot about those cheers. Jesus cared about the people. And so he goes to them. And we are to continue the work of Jesus, drawing near to sinners, building relationships with them, and telling them that they are wrong and they are loved. Colossians 4 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I know some of you are like, well, what about this? What about this? How how am I supposed to handle this? What if this situation comes up? Don't forget who you're serving. The God who's full of both grace and truth. There are people who are saying, man, grace just doesn't work anymore. We can't turn the other cheek anymore. We've got to fight. We've got to, like, beware. When you start to dismiss what our master has told us is the way to be on mission, what our master has told us is the way to live life, You need to be cautious. You need to be warned. Don't forget who you're serving. Let's make sure we're taking Jesus into the world, not 
some political ideology, not some local culture ideology. Let's make sure we're taking Jesus into the world. And I understand that one sermon series is not sufficient to get us all in the same place to where we understand what that means. So we'll keep talking about it. We'll have personal conversations. But nonetheless, don't forget who you're serving. And let the gospel form you and posture you as you step out. And and then let yourself be walking in wisdom. What does that mean? You think before you post. You pray before you speak. Right? Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, but seasoned with salt. You, You understand that? He's not saying, oh, just be gracious, just love people. We don't want to upset anybody. No, he goes, hey, let, let your speech be, be gracious, but seasoned with salt. You've got to tell them the truth, too. So that you may know how to, you ought to answer each person. Man, that's where we're at. We need help knowing how to answer each person, don't we? Let's pray. Jesus, that's our, that's our cry. We need help. We need help knowing how to live faithfully. What do we tell our kids to do at school when these issues are going on? When, what, do we, what do we tell our kids when they come home and tell us that they're struggling? Or that maybe they're not struggling, maybe they're embracing a lifestyle that's out of step with you. What do we tell our employers when we're told that We're supposed to do something that we know we can't in good conscience and good faith do. Jesus, would you just settle our minds outside of those specific situations right now and allow us to sit in the truth of the gospel. To rejoice that you have saved us sinners filthy, unclean, undeserving, dead. But you showed us great mercy. Father, forgive us where we've sold your grace and mercy short, thinking that it was, it was not sufficient for a world this twisted. Forgive us for that, Jesus. And would you overwhelm us with the goodness of the gospel this morning so that we leave here with a renewed hope of what you want to do in the lives of people in general the lives of sinners who are far from you, whether they have LGBTQ plus desires and identities or not, they're far from you and you've come to save them. Help us to embody that, to live faithfully, to step forward full of both grace and truth, telling them the good news that they are both wrong and loved. Overwhelm us, Jesus. 